Hey guys, I'm Adam Rapport, and this is the Bon Appetit Foodcast. All right, before we get started, uh, we are planning an upcoming episode all about peak summer cooking with Carla Music and our friend Gabe T and me. And we'd love for you to send us your questions. So if you got any uh, inquiries about grilling or what to do with all that amazing produce at the farmer's market, I don't know, summer entertaining perhaps, uh, hit us up. You can send any and all questions to Bon Appetit Foodcast at gmail.com and we will do our best to answer them on this episode which will come out mid-july so once again bon appetit foodcast at gmail.com send us your summer cooking questions all right for today's show conventional wisdom tells us to marinate before we grill however this summer, we got to thinking, doesn't it actually make sense to marinate after you grill? I chat with Carl Music about this, a new story in our June-July issue. And then Emil Stonic is in studio to go over the essentials of charcoal grilling, how to get your flames going, how to maintain them, and how to build that crucial two-zone fire. And one quick note, uh, I just want to remind you that so much of the content on this podcast comes from the stories we write for our magazine. So if you want to support that and get these recipes and stories in your hands, you can go to bonappetit.com slash get the mag and subscribe for a $10 one-year subscription and you get a cool tote bag too. That is bonappetit.com slash get the mag. We would love your support. Now let's do this. Here is Carla and me. Carla. Adam. Marinate after grilling. Marinate after grilling. After. That, that's right. It's kind of like moisturizing after sunbathing. You know, oh. you get your time in the sun and you need to like enhance and amplify. It's interesting you mentioned that because like I do the moisturizer every morning with the SPF. Great. And then you, if you are going out in the sun, like playing golf or something, by the time you're done, you get back home, like your face is dry and you it's thirsty that's right it's thirsty for moisturizer so you have to put more moisturizer and theoretically if it's summertime you should probably have spf in it spf in it anyways right you should be doubling down on yeah. the spf do you ever do the aloe sort of thing sure that's like it seems like if it's really if you're burnt or whatever it's really intense sun yeah yeah so marinating's like spf moisturizing a little um, bit yeah infusing with goodness I think it's like after the, so what we're talking about is proteins that have been grilled with very little seasoning. And then... Well, not necessarily little seasoning, which is very basic, salt and pepper. Very basic, salt and pepper, not like a whole rigmarole. Yeah. And that after these proteins are cooked, they are kind of primed to absorb flavor. Hmm, yes. And the beautiful thing about marinating after grilling is that the marinade becomes part of the dish. When you marinate before grilling, you really have to discard that marinade because it's got raw meat juices. So growing up, Maxine would always, she would have like this flank steak recipe. We've talked about this before. And she'd have like the soy sauce and the ginger and the honey. And the flank steak would bathe in that for a couple hours in one of those Pyrex sort of dishes that moms had back in the day. Still do. And then you'd grill it. And then that stuff would just get tossed out. And you'd have a tasty steak but you're like, well, where's all the sauce? Where was all that good stuff? And you're like, oh, it's down the sink. That's right. So with this case, what we're sort of preaching here, and this came by way of the great Claire Saffitz, who pitched this story in an ideas meeting. As soon as she said the words marinate after grilling, I was just like, yes, done, assigned. I don't even know what the I don't even know what the recipes are, but I am so into that because this is kind of a form of Escabeche, Correct. which is sort of what this dates back to. Unless, can you explain escabeche? Because with anything cooking wise, we're not really inventing anything new. We're just sort of shining a light on stuff that deserves a spotlight. Yeah. So we were definitely inspired by like the classic escabeche, which when I started digging into where does escabeche come from this morning before recording the podcast, I was like, oh, well, I could devote the next month of my life to figuring mm-hmm. this one out. But it really is credited to Spain. Um, but has migrated to a lot of like Latin America countries. But really, the Moors brought it to Spain in the 800s via North Africa. It's totally crazy. And then origins of the Escabeche word are found in there's a Persian word for that's like very similar to Escabeche with roots. So I was in a whole etymological yeah. K hole this morning. <laughs> but essentially, what it is is uh, it's very common with fish. So a cooked piece of fish that would then be 
put down into a vinegary mixture. Vinegar could be lemon juice, some onions, and really when you do escabeche, you would put the flesh side down into that marinade and it would really absorb. Because mm. skin, the, you know, skin is kind of like a waterproof layer in a way. Yep. So you like put it down and it absorbs all of those flavors into the protein. And can I'm sure it was also a preservation method and like all of that yep. kind of stuff. But if you think about ceviche, there's also a connection there of like taking protein, whether raw or cooked, and then bathing it in this like vinegary mixture. So similar to ceviche, you have your proteins, they're hanging out in this really nice vinegary bath and taking on a ton of flavor that then becomes part of the dish. And I think also when the proteins are resting in your marinade, you know the meat juices that like come out when when they're when it's resting, and, and then they're on the cutting board, and, and then they're on the cutting you, board. And you don't get them back, right? That's right. And a lot of this ends up also in that marinade. So mm. it's just a great, and they're really beautiful, and they're they can hang out for a while. So I think that um, what I love is that the flavor ends up on the plate, and just like you said, with marinating before grilling, you need an incredibly concentrated mixture. You need a lot of time. And then a, there's a lot of times that once you add the kind of smoky flavors from the grill, you're like, did we, I don't even taste the marinade. Exactly. You know? We, we, you know so let's talk about some specific recipes. We did a snapper escabeche uh, with charred scallions yeah. a few years ago. Uh, we shot a video for it even. And I think what was cool about this recipe is so it was skin on snapper fillets. A couple points here. Like typically you're not going to, you don't want to Unlike red meat, you're not going to marinate fish beforehand, unless it's maybe it's tuna. But usually, it's especially white fish like this. It's it's, it's too delicate. It's yeah. going to break down and get mushy and whatnot. So you just grill it with salt and pepper. And what I really liked about this recipe is that you get that skin really crispy and that nice charred flavor. And then you have a really simple marinade, or basically this. I've talked about this before. It's just essentially a salad dressing. You've right. got olive oil, some red onion, some white wine vinegar. You let that hang out, the, the onion sort of mellow, and then you just bathe it, the hot fish, crispy charred skin, and that acid, that acidic bath just plays so nicely off the char flavor, and it sort of infuses the white fish, which can be pretty mild flavored, all of a sudden with a lot of flavor. Totally. And it can also go a little bit dry, you know, Um, especially with grilling, which, you know, if you're grilling over medium high heat, it's pretty aggressive, dry heat. And that too just adds that, like it it does, it absorbs that fat and that liquid. So let's talk, all right, so we have this recipe for soy sauce marinated grilled flank steak in scallions in the June issue of Bon Appetit. This sounds a little bit like Maxine's recipe. It's it's, it's not unlike Maxine's recipe. So the, 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 Post-grill marinade is, uh, we've got some olive oil, we've got quarter cup of mirin with sweet Japanese rice wine, a cup of quarter cup soy sauce, we have some brown sugar, some uh, white vinegar, uh, a little bit of sriracha, and we've got some toasted sesame oil. Um, so with this, you're, you're, you season the flank steak. Simply. Simply but liberally. Sure. You know, good amount of salt, it's a big thick piece of red meat, and you get that nice crispy char on it. Because you also mentioned earlier when we were talking Another danger of, not a danger, but something to consider when marinating beforehand is that you have a very moist, wet piece of meat. Right. That does not yield you a nice, crispy char, typically, right? Yeah, and if you're thinking about the recipes that will tell you to pat dry before grilling or, you know, the drier the skin, the better the sear. So then you're taking something out of, like, yeah, a liquid, and then you're like, well, now it's saturated with liquid. Yeah. And it might stick because the marinade, you know, that's another thing that happens with marinades that have sugar in them. If you think about like barbecue sauce that you might put on chicken before grilling, the sugars in marinades burn. And that's another challenge for the griller. So in this scenario, you have a steak with salt and pepper. You don't have the wet problem. Yeah, you don't so have so the gonna, gonna sugary get, burn problem. You're going to get a nice crust. It's not going to burn. And then you, what I like about this also, so you get your steak, nice crispy crust perfect medium rare you slice it first and then you bathe it with this soy sauce marinade so that soy sauce marinade penetrates each slice right totally um and you rest it resting it when it comes off the grill and then putting it into the marinade and this marinade has 
kind of ever, a little bit of everything. It's got some sweet flavors. It's got salty flavors. I really like um, distilled white vinegar. It's only a small amount. Can, can we talk about white vinegar? Yeah. I'm always like, oh, is that something you're supposed to clean your whatever with? Yeah. Like, are you supposed to, it feels like white vinegar was something like my grandmother used. Yeah. And like nowadays, I got to have a fancy what? vinegar in my cupboard. White vinegar is fantastic. And like it's for like, what, though? Like, what am I using OG it for? It's the OG pickling vinegar, right? Okay. Just like... And it is just so acidic. <laughs> and you just and have like, those basic little glass bottles yeah, of it you see in the just supermarket. Just your Heinz or your yeah. whatever. Like very clean, very sour, very acidic. Um, great for pickling, but great in this too. I make a salt. Uh, there's a salsa verde recipe that I used to make all the time that also had white vinegar. And the first time I was like, "Can we do a little bit better yeah. than that? Can we get like, some? Come fancy. on. I have this like, great <laughs> bottle of Sonoma champagne vinegar that yeah. I got in a gift basket. Come on, my unseasoned rice vinegar. No, but it's it's like, you know, in the spectrum of, of acidity, it's like very high acid. So so it's a little bit, it goes a long way, but it doesn't add like any of those sweet flavors. It's not adding any like barrel agedness. Yeah, There's yeah. no like woodsiness it's, to it. It's, it's just like clean, it's sour not, in your not, face. And it's not balsamic, which is really no. going to lean really sweet and balsamic. But yeah. let me ask you a question. Like, I know we, we with our recipes that we tested BA, we're... we're we're very specific. You guys in the test kitchen, you'll go through many rounds to get it dialed in and is just right. But if I'm a home cook and I'm like, you know what? I don't have any white vinegar. I do have some unseasoned rice wine vinegar. If it's just two tablespoons, I can use that too, of right? Of course. I mean, yeah. It, yeah. Unless it's balsamic where something leans, takes it in a different flavor direction. Totally. Whether it's, you know, Bragg's apple cider vinegar or rice wine vinegar, it's close enough, right? I. I totally think that that is true. I think in this case, the white vinegar, the only thing I would say is, as a home cook, you're like, white vinegar, that's like one of the punchier ones. Yeah. Whereas rice vinegar is like a milder vinegar. Which so you I, might think I, about- Which is the reason why I love it for salad dressings. Right. Because it's but a in little bit case, sweet, but not overly sweet, and it's not going to overpower like a delicate green. Sure. But I think in this case, it needs to be something to cut through. There's a there's mirin and there's brown yep. sugar. So you you do have these sweet ingredients that you, you need to temper. So if you had red wine vinegar, I would say that's like more sour than- Rice vinegar. Yep. But dude, I wrote a whole book about sub making substitutions and recipes, so I am a hundred percent down with vinegar is vinegar is vinegar. You literally wrote a whole book. No, I literally. You did. literally did. <laughs> What's your book called again, Carla? For the listeners um, at home, it's called "Where Cooking Begins: uh, Uncomplicated Recipes to Make You a Great Cook." So how does that came out when? That came out in March. How is it done, like on the Amazon? How, let's be honest, sidebar here. Like, how yeah. often do you go in to check out like your ranking and that sort of stuff? I probably these days check like once a week. And oh, it's one come of those, on, be honest. Well, no, Re- really, it's it? like one of those things that I'm like, when I should be going to bed, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I already like, checked Instagram yeah. and I checked Twitter <laughs> and I checked my email again and I like checked the New York Times again, <laughs> so there was an update. Oh, I know. I'll ch- also check yeah. Amazon. If I get a little press or something happens, I like yeah, I'll the, like go look and see how the rankings change. How yeah? How much of an ebb and flow has there been on rankings? Has it gone up and down, or has it been pretty consistent? Or how does that work? Oh, I cookbooks? mean, like when it comes out, you're like high in the rankings because yeah. all of the pre-orders ship. So then you get this like all of the any order that anybody placed leading into the publication all ship at the same time oh, so, so that like, like loads. yeah I was like number seven and it was amazing and now I'm like in the 2000s you know in what category how's it um, done there's like all books uh-huh. there's a bunch of categories so I'm still like in the 30s in like US regional cooking or like cooking for one and two there's these weird categories cooking for one and two yeah but like wow. new releases I'm yeah. not in the top 50 anymore because but then overall but are you even considered a new release anymore I don't kind know. Of. I wonder what that cutoff is. Like, is it yeah, a, is it too. a twice? Probably it's twice been a year. Three or four months. Because cookbooks typically come out in fall and spring, so they probably do new releases. Anyway, some life. great grilling recipes in there. Are there really? Yeah. Okay. A few you got the steak sure. and stuff. Mm-hmm. Let me see this. So, um, <laughs> where cooking begins, ladies and gentlemen, you can buy it on. Buy it, let's let's support some of your small bookstores. Yeah, all of the please. local bookstores. And yeah. if you want a signed copy, Ooh. I believe there's still signed copies at Now Serving, which we've written about in Bon Appetit. Great little cookbook um, store in LA. 
Okay, so my I have I'm not gonna say I have an issue with this story. This story because I love this story, and we've got a grilled chicken with lemon thyme, and I love what something with grilled chicken skin on. That also gets back to that point where with skin on, the skin stays dry. You can get a nice crispy skin on it, which and whatnot before you sort of bathe it. I can't, I'm gonna stop using the word bathe before you sort of yeah pour on the marinade. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got some jalapeno marinated grilled pork chops. Yeah. Okay, so the marinade is uh, olive oil. Super simple. Some coriander seeds, some apple cider vinegar, a little bit of sugar, and uh, some jalapenos. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I wrote a couple years ago about our friend Gabe uh, and how he was doing some like grilled pork with sort of a nok chom sauce with like the lime juice and fish sauce and we had some garlic and this and that in there and a little sugar. And I so I started grilling pork chops. And then after grilling, sort of pouring this sauce all over it, it's kind of a, a, a marinade, a, a vinaigrette of sorts, and it was delicious. However, the last time I was grilling a few months, of, like a month ago, with our friends at Eight Hands Farm out in the North mm, Fork of Long Island. I saw Island, those pork chops on your Instagram. They were amazing. Check out my Instagram. But now, oh, do we, can we talk about now I'm just at Rappaport? It's no longer at Rappo 4. I know. This was very scandalous when you did this. Was it, though? I mean, I wasn't scandalized. I yeah. was more Emma, like, did you oh. have an opinion one way or the other? No. She's like, Meh. Who cares? I don't know. Our friend was... Eva Chen over at Instagram was like, you need to change your handle. Why? I don't know. She made a whole thing about it wasn't professional enough. Like, at Rappaport. It's like, people don't know that's you. It's like, you have a name. Like, you are an editor of this magazine. Like, it should just be at Rappaport. I can get you that handle. No, so it's been unused for like three years. Huh. Or it's been dormant. I guess someone had it, but it was a dormant account. Huh. So I was like, okay. I, was I always thought bullied. that, I know the four was like a, Jersey number or something? When I played high school basketball, that was my jersey number. Okay. So I, amazing had, recall for me. Yeah, because it's amazing. Because at the time, Adam Rappel, whatever, those regular handles were available. Get. Yeah. But uh, for me, the four always was like the port, you know? It like sounds like port, oh. Rappo, four, Rappaport. Interesting. I don't know if that was intentional. I was like, we have 30 minutes to yeah, talk about we, marinating. <laughs> the two of you we have <laughs> need lot, to get on program. We have a lot of tangents today. However, okay. so, right, however. So... Grew up these beautiful heritage breed pork chops from Eight Hands the other day. I made a little sort of riff on Nok Cham. Had a couple friends over. We're hanging out. The thing is, in this instance, the pork chops were so good on their own with just the salt and pepper and that sweet fat cap and milky white and just juicy, a perfect medium slash medium rare. And I was like, you know what? I, I'm not going to put any sort of marinade or sauce on them. They were too good on their own. And I think there are times where, as obsessed as we get about marinades and dry rubs and all that sort of things, I, I do think there are instances where salt and pepper is all you need. Sure. I agree. You know, if you're going to buy a $40 ribeye, I don't want a soy sauce marinade on that. Sure. As you wish. It's your dinner. Do whatever well, you I'm want. I'm asking you, are, are you of the similar school or do you always like to hop it up somewhat? I think that in the example you're describing, that pork is very special. And like most pork, like, you know, rib chops are very lean and like yeah. they don't have a ton of internal marbling and like they do benefit from, from all of this. But I also think that as cooks, that tapping into that intuition and your gut is like, that's what it's all about. And so if you didn't think it needed it, then it didn't need it. Or also maybe you just needed a change. Or you could have served it on the side and if people wanted to dilly-dally over there mm. <laughs> and dabble, then they could. But I think that's what your book gets at, which I like about your book, is that it endorses riffing, it endorses trusting your instincts and sort of gut as a cook. And, with, and so I guess in this instance jalapeno marinated grilled pork chops like that's kind of a game time decision for me it's like all right am i just getting regular okay pork chops from the butcher's case and you can go to full foods or wherever you see them sometimes you're like okay that looks fine but it looks pretty lean there's no marbling like you see in a good ribeye or something there's very little fat cap that's gonna need some flavoring that might benefit from it's just gonna get better you know what i mean and that's why yeah these these things that we're doing are yeah, tricks. You could have bread and butter, or you could have like bread and salted butter with shaved radishes and jammy eggs. Mm. Bread and butter on its own is great. If you have really good bread. If you have and really good, good bread and butter. But then you might want to take it up a notch. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, yeah, I think that that is, I don't think it would have been bad 
But I think in in what you're describing, you wanted to preserve the kind of like, let's just enjoy this for how perfect this ingredient is. Yeah. You know what? I, I think. Did you put any like squeeze of lime or any kind of? I do like I a didn't... little lemon or lime on like a simply grilled great piece of pork or beef. Yeah, I like that sometimes with like you know Italian styles, where they'll have like the little lemon wedges yeah. next to the the tagliata, yeah, next to the porterhouse steak, and just add a little acid to otherwise fatty piece of meat. I think this technique plays really well with grilled vegetables, actually, or at least certain grilled vegetables. We have a recipe with grilled summer squash, aka like zucchini, red onions, and a little sort of shaved feta cheese. Um, you just wrote about grilled squash in your newsletter. And I had written well, about squash in my newsletter a year you, ago. How do you subscribe to the newsletter, Emma? Oh, boy. She it's like bonappetit.com slash newsletters. I'm <laughs> making that up. Okay. So you can follow Carla and me. We each do a newsletter. I do mine on Monday. Carla, you're Thursday or Wednesday? Mine comes out Wednesday night. Uh, so I always have to ask what you wrote about because yeah. you go first. <laughs> I got div. So it's Bon Appetit. <laughs> bonappetit.com slash newsletter slash subscribe and uh, we each sort of endorse a recipe give you a little anecdote each week uh, and then we have Alex Beggs who writes about all sorts of crazy stuff on Fridays about what's going on at the office so yeah definitely subscribe to the newsletters they're actually a lot of fun um, highly recommend them uh, oh so zucchini both of which you and I have a sort of a, a challenge relationship with you've gone so far to say you hate it, it with, with a few exceptions when you grill zucchini especially if you're doing those little slices it just does not taste like much. You're it just is like, literally water. It's water with like a shape. Exactly. So we <laughs> have it. this recipe here where we've got the oil and the vinegar. I've done it where I've grilled the zucchini. Then I've got some like, if there's anything pickled in the fridge from like pickled jalapenos to pickled ramps, I'll sort of scatter those on top with some of that pickling juice, you know, and then maybe some chopped up almonds or hazelnuts or something, throw that on there. Yeah. But you want that oil and pickling juice, something vinegary to infuse that otherwise bland vegetable with flavor. And that happens with a lot of grilled vegetables. They look nice and then you eat them. You're like, yeah, these grilled mushrooms taste like eh. Dirt water. Yeah. So yeah. it's like I, I think this is a really cool technique. Grill and also again, it's easier to grill. You don't want to be grilling wet zucchini. You want to be grilling zucchini just with a little oil and salt. That's yeah, the fine. second you cut it, it just like makes water. Exactly. So <laughs> highly endorse marinating after grilling with grilled vegetables because they need a little help more so than like I said, a pork chop a good pork chop, a good steak. There's so much intrinsic flavor in there. You know, so they, yeah, I think that's a great technique yeah, for that. This is a little bit of a sassed up version, but it's exactly what you just described. There's hot peppers with their liquid their pickling liquid, garlic, more vinegar, the red onions, and then it's got feta. And as we all know, Feta makes it better. Yeah, yes. I'm sure you made that joke in your book, I, right? I didn't. I made. Really? I used that headline though in a prep school, like a hundred thousand years ago, and I was, I, I, I literally was glowing for a week. I was like, <laughs> I can't believe they let me print it. That wasn't because you went to the dermatologist this morning. No, that I'm glowing. Yeah. No, I'm like retroactively glowing that feta feta makes it better. Actually, is in print. <laughs> All right. Any parting thoughts on marinade after grilling? Anything we should know in terms of sort of handling this? Uh, I would just say if you like the idea of marinating, but you've been disappointed, you need to flip the script and yeah. marinate after. And do it. It's 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 never not going to be good. Again, you get all that flavor. And also what I really like about it um, is it looks beautiful. It you looks know, really beautiful. Those pooling little, and you get the little sort of eyelets of the oil and the vinegar and you got the weather and then the little maybe the steak juice sort of seeping in totally. there yeah and there will be enough marinade from all of these that if you're also serving like beautiful sliced tomatoes or a simple green Ooh. salad or some other that all of that you know i like to think about like how the sauces when everything touches yes each other on the plate yes what's gonna happen and you're gonna have like sauce to spare mm. mm-hmm all right, now I'm hungry. It's 12 noon. Let's go eat some lunch. Perfect uh, timing. Carla Music, thank you very much. You listeners, you can find these recipes in the June grilling issue of Bon Appetit on Stands Now or check them out on bonappetit.com. Thanks, guys. Okay, so Emil, the irony is that we're doing a podcast on charcoal and I literally just bought a gas grill. Well, I mean, you know, it's not either or. I feel like that's the real thing. You you didn't throw out your ga- your charcoal grill, did you? I still have my charcoal grill, and the reason I 
bought a gas grill is because I was using my charcoal grill so much that it annoyed my upstairs neighbors in the apartment building who didn't like these plumes of smoke uh-huh, sort of wafting into uh-huh, their windows. Uh-huh. And I'm a considerate guy, and I'm like, that's a good point. Can't argue with you. I'll get another option. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's a thing. Uh, you know, you want options. And, you know, I, th- I think the the reason that we decided to focus on charcoal grilling for this basically theme was kind of like the char, you know, gas grills are great for a lot of reasons. They're, it's really convenient. You just like turn it on, it's good to go. It's great for that kind of like weeknight moment where you're just like trying to cook three burgers and then call it a night. But charcoal grilling is like the the barrier to entry is much lower, I think. You don't need to spend, you know, $300 on a on a grill and get the propane. But the thing is you can go, you know, if you want to grill this weekend in the park, you go to the Home Depot, you drop like 30 bucks on one of those little yes. Jumbo Joes, yeah. uh, Weber and, and, Jumbo and your Joes, basic 22, a bag of charcoal, and you're good to go. Your basic 22-inch Weber, which is your standard, standard kettle grill, which I own and everyone owns, and they're sort of unimpeachable. I mean, those are like 100 whatever bucks, 100 bucks maybe max, I think now. Barrier to entry is lower, but the nuances of using them are a lot more sort of intricate than a gas grill. Right. And there's a lot to master, so to speak. Right. And so, you know, there are a few things that you kind of do need to know and think about if you are, you know, the kind of person who's got the char- little charcoal grill stash in your closet and you take it out whenever you want to, you yeah. know, grill some dogs so, in the right. park. So let's, let's start at the beginning. Let's start with starting the fire because... I would say there's something like Pavlovian about that when you smell the charcoal, oh, the yeah. smoke, you're like, oh, it's summertime, I'm grilling, I'm getting myself a drink, and I'm going to go stand outside with a pair of tongs in my hand and just look at the fire. Totally. I mean, there is that first night, and it's normally like in May or mm-hmm. something like that, when it's kind of like, you're just, you're, it's nice outside, you're walking around, you're like, what is that smell? Ah, it's summer. Yes. Like somebody is grilling. Uh, okay, so start the fire. Talk to me. All right. Well, I mean, the first thing, and I feel like this is, you know, we made this the first point because it feels like the most important tenet of Bon Appetit charcoal grilling is no lighter fluid ever. No lighter fluid in a bottle, no lighter fluid impregnated uh, charcoal <laughs> oh. briquettes, that none of the match light charcoal. You don't need lighter fluid to start your charcoal and you don't want it because it, it you know no matter how odorless they say it is or whatever you still smell it you still taste it you don't need to add chemicals Although to your I, I really just like I love the smell of gas stations uh, and the smell of gasoline at the gas station I also love the smell of like there's something about park picnics when people are starting their grill and they always have that sort of stuff because they don't have a charcoal chimney with them, which we'll talk about in a second. But I'm like, oh, yes, lighter fluids cookout. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. With your little like suitcase grill and everything. All right, so anyway, so, so at home, yeah, we don't want all those chemicals, so how are we starting on the grill? So instead, all you need is a charcoal chimney, which costs less than $20. You'll have it for years and years and years, and it's super lo-fi. Basically, what you're looking at is a you know, probably a foot tall metal cylinder that's got a handle on it and it's got like a inside, you know, probably like, you know, four inches from the ground, like a little mesh or like coil something to kind of keep the charcoal elevated. You dump your charcoal in, you put a wad of newspaper or a paper bag or something underneath it, light it. And what it's going to do is it's going to draw the air and the fire up through that cylinder and ignite all of your charcoal kind of like in a big stack. And the, and it's like ready in 20 minutes. I don't know who invented the charcoal chimney, but I think he or she should get a Nobel Prize. I oh, mean, it, hell yeah. it, it, it's fascinating when you light that first match and there's that little wisp of newspaper sticking out through one of the slots on the side. Within five seconds, literally, there's these smoke is just emanating from the thing like that there's something about the physics of the air circulating from the bottom to up and it just goes and all of a sudden that charcoal is going it does take i would say while the fire starts immediately and the charcoal starts to smoke immediately to get them to temperature where they're sort of that glowing orange right um, where they're ready to dump into uh, your kettle grill that's more like 15 minutes is that fair to say yeah i'd say i'd say from kind of start to from the time that you light the newspaper underneath the charcoal to cooking time, yeah, I'd say, or like the hottest possible cooking time is probably yeah, 15, 20, 
15 to 25 minutes. So when when you'll you'll have this canister full of coals, there will be flames coming up, but you want the majority of the coals that sort of glowing orange. Right. You're ready to dump. Two things. Um, one issue I have is the size of the chimney, which is beautifully designed because it works remarkably, so I'm not going to complain about that. But I do think that you often need more than just one chimney full. Like what I'll typically do is I'll fill up the chimney and I'll continue to pour coals on so they kind of spill over onto the grate because you set the charcoal grill on the bottom grate right. of, That's the, a really great of point. the grill. You, you, ideally what you do is you, t- you have your charcoal grill set up, you take the grate off. The you top grate that the you top grill grate on. off, the lid off, top yeah. grate off, and you've got your charcoal chimney in there. Yeah. So you're not, you don't have to like burn a patch of grass no. or whatever. But I, yeah, I always add some extra coals to that bottom grate so they kind of catch as the thing's going. Other people I know have two charcoal chimneys, and they might have another charcoal chimney going on a patch of concrete or something. We've done this for video shoots where we need to sort of replenish uh, the coal. So that's just one thing to consider. Like, always be on the generous side. Like, you're going to want a little bit more than what fills up the chimney itself. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, this is it's, – it's an art, not a science. Yes. And, you know, much depends on the size of your grill. Yeah. You know, if you've got that standard – I find that the standard kind of 22-inch Weber grill – one charcoal chimney, like loaded, you know, kind of mounded with charcoal, is going to probably get you where you're going. And, but definitely, I mean, I'm a huge advocate for starting a second round of charcoal. You know, maybe like, like once you get the first things on the grill, just fire another one. Yeah. You know, because then, you know, depending on what you're cooking and how long you're planning on cooking, you're probably going to want to keep grilling 45 minutes from now yeah. you know if it's kind of one of those like long rolling cookout sort of situations Friends coming over and you're, you're putting various things on the grill right right you just want to be ready and you don't want to have to be like hold on we gotta we gotta do another charcoal chimney it's gonna be another 30 minutes before you're okay i know we're not using like the fluid soaked briquettes and this is something i've gone back and forth on mm-hmm, over the years mm-hmm. Classic charcoal briquettes like Kingsford versus like the hardwood lump shards of charcoal that I feel like kind of came into favor among the average schmoes like us like a decade ago or so. Talk to me about the difference of them and is there one that you prefer? Okay. So, I mean, again, I don't I don't think this is an either or sort of situation. I think they're, each one is better for different things. Your your Kingsford, like char, classic charcoal briquettes, you know, the little like nugget shaped ones mm-hmm. that have like the K on them. Those are going to burn really, really consistently and for a long time. So that's kind of my go-to when I just want even, controllable heat. I'm, I want to, you know, I'm, I am going to be grilling for maybe a couple of hours, so I'm going to be replenishing my charcoal a few times, and I want to get the most bang for my buck out of it and know exactly how it's going to perform. That's that's my go-to. Hardwood lump, on the other hand, it burns a lot hotter and faster and is probably, you know, I think often, and, and this is up for debate, but I think also has a little bit more flavor. So m- like more of that hardwood flavor, the the Kingsford briquettes, you know, they are wood, but there's also kind of like some sawdust and yeah, some they're, binders they're in there. compressed into these yeah. nuggets, whereas the lump hardwood is actual chunks of carbonized wood. Totally. And some of those chunks are going to be, you know, sometimes you get like what looks like a big chunk of log and sometimes you get some kind of like, you know, the like the shake. like hardwood. Yeah, I was going to say yeah, like the hardwood lump shake. <laughs> uh, so, and that's just going to perform a little bit less yeah. consistently. So I feel like that's more like, I think charcoal briquettes are a really good place to start if you're new to grilling. And, you know, even for somebody who's, as somebody who's done a lot of grilling, I still kind of turn to that when I want that consistency. But hardwood lump, if I'm just, if I'm going to grill one steak on like a weeknight or something, and I want that like really, really high heat, and it's fine if it burns out in, you know, 25 minutes and it's cool, then, you know, I think that hardwood lump is a, is is also yeah i think it's a little bit more of a high performance sort of product and again if if it does if you don't need to be growing for two hours and if also and we'll get to this in a minute in terms of what you want to cook over what sort of heat but if you definitely want that high heat for that super crispy you know sear crust on your fancy steak lump is the way to go totally but otherwise i i'm pretty much i don't want to say exclusively 
charcoal briquettes these days, but consistently charcoal briquettes because I love the consistency that they deliver. Well, and I sometimes, you know, if I'm if I'm going to be doing a lot of grilling, I'll get a big bag of charcoal briquettes, and I'll also have a bag of hardwood lump kind of waiting in the wings. Because mm. sometimes, you know, maybe you're at it, maybe it is that kind of cookout where people are just bringing a bunch of grillables, you know, and, like, you know, like, you're, like, like Boca Burgers, like Boca Burgers, <laughs> you know, some uh, pre-cooked chicken sausages, some skewers from the I Whole love, Foods. I love the with, pre-cooked uh, sausages. You're like, oh, God. God. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's a that's a Brooklyn 20 uh, something uh, grill out for sure. And what I like what I like to do is, you know, if I feel like I need to add a little bit more heat to my briquettes, you know, they're in there and I just kind of want to like add a little bit more, I'll throw in a handful of the hardwood lump, which is going to catch pretty fast. And also I think, you know, has a little bit more flavor. So you're going to get a little bit more aromatic smoke. It's not like what you would get if you were throwing actual wood in, but I feel like it's a little closer. Let's talk about the two zone fire. Ooh, the two zone fire. I'm a strong proponent of the two zones. Yeah. So the the idea, I, I feel like we've all kind of been there at a certain point where you're like, you know, you 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 dump your charcoal in. You've just kind of got this like bed of heat, and it's not, it's maybe not quite as hot as you want it to be, or maybe it's too hot. You put your steak on. All of a sudden, it's engulfed in flames. You don't have anywhere to move it. You're, you're freaking just like, you're out. Freaking There's out. Sweat drip dripping off your forehead. So that is just one of the many problems that the two-zone fire solves. So what you're doing when you're creating a two-zone fire is you dump that charcoal, and then you're going to use, you're going to dump it on one side of the grill. So, you know, you're imagining your circle overhead, and you just dump it to one side, and then use your tongs to kind of move most of the coals over to that side, leaving maybe a few mm-hmm. on the other yeah. side, and, and and kind of piling them up on the side. So what you're doing, and then you put the grate on, let it preheat, and, and basically what you're doing is you're creating one side for searing that's going to be really hot, and then one side that's going to still be quite hot, but is more your kind of indirect lower heat. So that does a few things. One, if you've got like a big thick steak or sausages, which I think people have a really hard time cooking and making sure they cook through. Yes, because I'm always worried that no one wants underdone sausages and then I often end up overcooking them and you have this beautiful juicy Italian sausage that is now crumbly and dry and I'm like, go, I did it again. Right, so what you want to do is you want to just get those on the hot side you want to get those on the hot side just to get some color, get some browning on the outside, and then before they start to kind of like spill fat and start these like you geysers. know flare ups, you're gonna move those over to the cool side. Can we so say then, geysers. Yeah, you, you know say the geyser, geysers. Like the fat shoots out, like it squirts out. Yeah, well, it's good to kind of prick the sausages <laughs> a little bit too. But you know, we can, uh, so you know whether it's your sausages or your steak, you're getting the color that you want on the high heat side, and then moving them over to the cooler side to finish cooking through. And it's kind of like the way that if you're in your kitchen, you might start something on the stovetop and then move it it. to the oven at a lower temperature just so that you have a little more gentle heat. Okay, lots of thoughts. First of all, with the steak, say you've got a nice strip steak or ribeye, the one big advantage that I always feel a charcoal grill has compared to an average gas grill is that there is that very even bed of intense heat which gives you a beautiful, all-over, crispy, crusty mm-hmm. char on your steak. Whereas a lot of times you see these gas grills, and you're just left with those little grill marks on your steak that's right. like kind of blackened in the, on the strips, but then kind of gray in the middle. Mm-hmm. And that's not a crispy char. It's not that same steakhouse effect. And like most gas grills just don't deliver the heat evenly. They have like three little strips of flame, for instance. Right. And it does not compare to that just bed of intense heat that charcoal offers. Totally. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's more like just a wall of heat. And the, the grates just exist to kind of keep the food elevated above that versus the with the gas grill, I really feel like it is the grates that are getting yeah, and hot. They're, they're and they're also thicker, so that's yeah, they they conduct the and transfer the heat as opposed to the the heat itself. Right. So, a couple other things that depending on flare ups and whatnot with a steak, you know, I also think that having that safe side, the the, the low side of the coals, is nice because when there are flare ups, you kind of slide it over there, let the flare ups die down. Put the steak back to the hot side. You move it around, and it's it is a active pursuit. You're not just putting a steak on and timing it for five minutes. You're kind of moving it around as it goes. Totally. But ultimately, once you get both sides seared, and also the third side, like the fat side or whatever, yep. um, 
the edge. I, I would argue most stakes don't need much more time than that. If you get all overseers going on on each side, A, I never put the top on. Like right. I, I think sure. that's I got it a I need to talk to my boy Sam Cass about this, a friend who was like grilling ribeyes with the top on. I'm like, you don't need to put the top on. Like if you get them seared all over, then maybe just slide them over to the safe side for a little bit with the top off, they're still gonna cook through fine. Sure, sure. Yeah. And and that is a, a I think a big question. I think people are often like confused about what to do with the lid, whether they want it on, off. I mean, I think that by and large, most of the cooking that I do on a gas on a charcoal grill rather, I'm doing with the lid off. And and yes, I want to be moving it around. I want to be. It's, it feels like an active process. I want to be looking at that steak and checking it and making sure it's not on fire and yeah. whatever. which is which is what's fun about grilling. You're not just set it and forget it. Totally. You're, it's a pursuit. It's an active sport. And you're there. You got your drink. You got your tongs. You got your spatula or whatever. And it's like you're doing something. However, However, I will say that I feel like there are other sorts of things that you might grill where you there are certain instances in which you would want the lid on. So if you've got your two-zone fire set up, maybe you've got a whole spatchcocked chicken. So it's a chicken mm-hmm. that's been butterflied. You cut the backbone out and you kind of flatten it. Maybe you you grill it, and you know it's it's got bones. It's you know it's 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 going to take a while to cook through, and you want to do that kind of gently. Maybe you want to. You know, sear that on both sides, and then move it over to the low side, cover it, and just kind of let give it like a. You know, you're basically creating an oven. Then you know, you've got the hot air just kind of circulating around and letting that chicken kind of cook through a little bit more gently. I think for something very big and thick that you're trying to cook all the way through, not like a steak where you want it medium rare inside. um, I think that. Closing the lid can be a really good yeah. option. Well, I, I would say the one time I do close the lid is for bone-in chicken. If I have like bone-in chicken pieces that have been marinated or something, I'll start them bone side down. Bone side. Some bone side. Cook them. And I'm trying to remember if I'd start them with the maybe even with the top on so the fat renders. But anyways, but yeah, you want them cooked through. You don't want them over that direct heat because that's when you end up with that burnt chicken skin as opposed to like a beautifully bronze sort of crispy chicken skin. Right. And I think, you know, I think that's a good thing to just bring up that was not in this story. But you do not want your food to be on fire. No. If your food is, I mean, you you don't want. Like, heat, heat should be cooking your food, not fire. Correct. And I think that often people are just like, oh, that's just, just grilling. Like I, I put the chicken thighs, marinated chicken thighs on the grill and then they just like the flames shoot up and then they get kind of black and you know, but it's, that's not, that is gonna taste burnt and kind of sooty yes. rather than yeah. nicely charred and kind of perfumed with smoke. It's, you, you, you don't want, you don't want actual flames. Carcinogens and stuff. Um, yeah, I, I probably. Think, is that right? the right word? I think I it is, know, maybe. I don't know. Um, but yeah, bone-in chicken thighs, for instance, we were always talking about those in Bon Amp, and like you marinate them, like A, yes, bone side down, let some of that fat render. You don't want to start, I don't ever want to start on fat side down, because that's what causes flare-ups immediately mm-hmm. out of the gate, especially if there's anything sweet in the marinade. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, not over direct heat, perhaps with the top on. And if you do put the top on, this might be obvious, make sure the vents on the top and bottom of your grill are both open. You still oh, yeah. need that airflow. That's a good that's a good thing to bring up and I, I feel like that it's sometimes a little bit mystifying for people. Most people don't know first of all that there is a vent on the bottom of the grill and you know it should be open. Right, you're cooking with fire. So you need airflow, you need oxygen to keep the fire going. You know, there are a lot of ways that you can mess around with those things, but by and large the bottom vent needs to be open most of the way and also it's important to make sure that if you know if this is a grill you use all the time that the bottom isn't totally all clogged up mm. with a bunch of like leftover ashes yes. and schmutz from you know when you forgot to you know cover the grill the last time it rained and whatever you need that airflow to be circulating from the bottom and then on the lid that little dial you need to open it so that it's those most three of the way holes, open yeah that said, at the end, when you're trying to like put that fire out, you close them, yes, and and that's gonna and put the lid on and put the lid on and that's gonna that's gonna fire. suffocate your fire. But if you put that lid on, and it's cl- and and the vents are closed, you're just gonna put your fire out. Yeah. So instead of cooking, I, and I think that's a good point for and again, this is obvious to anyone who grows a lot, but that 
with a Weber, you've got that handle on the bottom that you slide back and forth that opens up the vents. But also, if you have a bunch of ashes built up in there, that'll sort of sort of perturb those. Sort of, not perturb. perturb. Sort of like that word I'm looking for is um, agitate. Yeah, that'll sort of agitate the ashes, and then they'll fall into the the little catch pan, the drip mm-hmm. pan at the bottom. But you want to start off. You want to start grilling theoretically without a big pile of ashes at the bottom of your pan. So yeah. always do that sort of back and forth thing, clean out the grill, clean your grates, and then build your fire. Totally. Which, you know, is also a, a good thing to bring up um, is the grill brush. I got a funny DM the other day about a grill brush. Hmm. It goes down in the DMs. Uh, someone DM'd me on the Instagram talking about this story in our uh, June issue of Bon Appetit, uh, talking about how the grill brush is the only grilling tool you really need uh, and they were saying while it's true that you do need to always clean your grill and we advocate for grilling it after you're grilling cleaning instead it of after cleaning it after grilling instead of two weeks later when you've forgotten everything's gunked on uh, this person also pointed out that with the metal bristles oftentimes they get left behind or can get left behind on the grill and then the food can catch them and then you're eating the metal bristles I've never had that happen to me, but I was like, <laughs> okay, thank you for letting me know. I feel uh, like if that's happening, you probably need to get a better grill brush yes. or just maybe get a new one or something. But yeah, I mean, I think I think people really geek out about grill tools. So, you know, there's the whole there's the whole fancy grill dad tool setup. You know, your four foot long tongs, you're like big spatula that's got like a for whatever reason like a serrated knife on one side of it (laughs) and then it's like (laughs) and then there's like a you know it's got a bottle opener and you know like a long silicone like basting brush or whatever it's like you don't don't forget you don't need any of that don't forget the giant three foot long fork Oh yeah, the, the, the fork. yeah yeah the grilling fork. So you don't need any of those the, tools. No, but the grilling fork was like back like when my dad would grill in the seventies, and there was like the giant quote unquote London broil steak oh, on yeah. the grill that you know it's like something from the Flintstones that was about sixteen inches by twelve inches and like two inches thick, and you need a giant fork to flip it over. Yeah, there's like fifties like suburban dad yeah. like just standing there by the fire smoking a cigarette with like a big piece of meat on a fork. <laughs> But, you know, the reality is most of the tools that you already have in your kitchen are going to work fine on the grill. So the metal spatula you already have, the tongs that you already have, maybe you want to get a pair that's, you know, a little bit longer than your kind of like, you know, six inch ones or whatever. Yeah, but your basic metal restaurant supply store tongs are great. Yes. As long inches. as it won't melt, yes. it's good. The th- one thing that you need that is actually kind of a specialty grilling tool is a grill brush. And, you know, what that is, if, you know, I'm sure you're familiar. Everybody's familiar with a grill brush. But, you know, it's just a brush. It's got metal bristles on it. Normally one side has kind of like a metal scraper sort of thing. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, as soon as your grill is, you want to, it's going to be the first thing that you do when you start grilling, when you dump the charcoal in and your grates are hot, you want to give it a good brush before you oil down the grates. And at the end, you know, if you've got gunk on there while it's still hot, you just want to brush to make sure you don't have any bits of food or anything like that stuck because that you know those are those are going to burn they're going to you know sometimes i i have opened people's grills before and just had a moldy grill like literally just like bits of food that have just been sitting there it's like get rid of that yeah quick little bit uh, last pit timing is everything kind of what to grill when when the coals first go on you talk about things like scallions grilled scallions which are i always if you have scallions in the house little olive oil, salt, always throw them on the grill. Yeah. I mean, so what we were trying to talk about here was the fact that there is, you know, your grill is different from your stove or your oven. You can't just set it at one temperature mm. and cook things and then change the temperature. It is it is all happening kind of, the, the heat is going from extremely hot and almost too hot to cook with to cool, warm and almost not hot enough to cook on. So, and that's going to take probably about 35 to 40 minutes. So that's that's kind of your window. So you need to plan what you're going to cook based on what the temperature is looking like in the grill at that particular moment. So in the beginning, right, the first five minutes when you've kind of first dumped your charcoal, you put the grate on and it's, you know, good and the grates are good and preheated. That first five minutes, it's almost too hot to put 
yeah. anything on. So that's just things that you want to cook really, really, really quickly. You're just trying to get a quick, hot and fast sear on them. Maybe even you're trying to like, you know, get some char. So yeah, your scallions, anything that you're just trying to get a really, really fast sear on. And then, you know, probably you wait 10 minutes, you know, you're kind of 15 minutes from when you started. That's medium high. That's your sweet spot for things like, you know, skirt steak, a thin steak that you're just going to like just sear, kiss on both sides for a couple of minutes and then pull off thin chops, boneless uh, chicken thighs, Maybe that you've marinated, and again, if you yeah, also with like with chicken thighs, sorry, but like chicken thighs or boneless uh, chicken breast, like you actually want that nice and hot. Like that should not be a long. You want that nice sort of caramelized char on the outside because those things are pretty thin. That they you don't want. Um, the worst thing is when you do chicken and it's just on the grill for a really long time and gets kind of rubbery and yeah, yeah. And, you want it juicy and crispy on the outside. And this is also a good time to start some of your larger pieces of meat. So if you do have that two-inch thick ribeye or strip steak or something, you want to sear it on both sides or or on you know all yeah. four sides or whatever. And then, you know, you're pretty close, and then you're going to move that over to your cool side to finish cooking. Then after that, you know, probably like 25 minutes into this whole process is kind of medium heat, and this is kind of just like your all-purpose, like this is when you're getting your burgers on, your sausages, your hot dogs, you know, your corn. That's kind of like the the just like middle-of-the-road heat that's good for cooking most things. Um, I would say one thing about burgers – Unlike we talked about steak, how you want to maybe pick up that strip steak, move it around, put it on side, flip it on the other side. Burgers, it's optimal if you don't have to move them around. Yeah, you know, especially because it might be stuck at first until they sort of release themselves from the grill. They're juicy. Like you don't want that whole flipping moving. Like so, if you can do them over that medium heat, that does not encourage flare-ups. Totally, that's kind of the optimal situation for sure, for sure. And then pretty much after that, you know, it's a case of diminishing returns. You're still going to have heat, but your ability to get that kind of that sear and that like you know just initial like hot cooking you're not going to have so much of that so this is probably if if you're trying to do more rounds of burgers or steaks or grilled veggies or whatever you're probably going to want to have that second chimney ready to go to dump in there to kind of like get the heat going again but you know if you seared off your whole chicken or your bone-in chicken maybe it's still hanging out in there on the low heat side just kind of slowly cooking so it's juicy and tender you can still use that heat once it's too hot to sear but you're kind of gonna want to have seared something when the grill is still hot all right emil stonic thanks for uh schooling us on the art of charcoal grilling you can find this article in the basically section of the june issue of bon appetit on stands now thanks emil thanks adam The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Carrie Polis and Christina Che and produced and edited by Emma Wartsman. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wartsman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.